now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, we pray that you would come and speak to each of us here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. So six weeks ago, we began a series entitled the Seeing Through the Eyes of Jesus, Finding Jesus's Vision for Our Life as a Church and for Us as Individuals. And today we are coming full circle back to that first week, and I want to invite you to travel back to that first week with me. Before we talk about Peter, we have to talk about somebody else very important to the story of Peter. The first week of this series, we were in John chapter 1, and in that, in the story began with John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, um, ministering, calling people to come and repent of their sins. And John the Baptist had disciples. That was very common in that day for a teacher and a leader to have disciples. One of those disciples was a young man named Andrew. There was another one whose name we don't know, but we can safely assume it was John who wrote the Gospel of John in our, in our scriptures. And one day, John the Baptist and John and Andrew were all together, and Jesus walked by. And John the Baptist looks at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew and the other disciple walked after him. They followed Jesus. They followed this Lamb of God. And then Jesus speaks the first words that he speaks in John's Gospel. And it was not a statement. It was not an exclamation. It was not saying, hey, fellas, or what's up, or where are you going? No, he turned to them and he said, what are you looking for? And Andrew and John responded by saying, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said, come and follow me. In other words, they responded by saying, we're looking for wherever it is you are going. So they went with him, and they, John tells us that they, stay, they stayed the afternoon with him. And when they finished that afternoon with him, Andrew went looking for someone else. Andrew went and found his brother named Simon. And he went and he found Simon, and he said, Simon, we found him. It's the one. He's the one, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. Come and see. And so Simon went with him, and Andrew took Simon to Jesus. And he said, and Jesus looked at this young man named Simon, who he'd never seen before. He was a stranger to him. Well, we think he was a stranger, but we know Jesus is God, and none of us are strangers to him. But he looked at Simon, and he said, your name is Simon, but now you will be called Peter. Peter, the brother of Andrew. Without Andrew, there's no Peter. And without Peter, there's not the story that we have today. For Peter was one, became, of course, not only the foundation of what we know as the church, the rock on which Jesus builds his church, but not only the one who failed miserably in Jesus' final hour, but he was also the greatest story of redemption throughout history. None of that would have happened, though, if his brother Andrew had not quietly gone and gotten him and, saying, and told him what he had seen. Peter became one of three disciples who got to witness what we hear him describe in today's passage. Look at verse 16 again. The power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Peter says, We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. This is Peter's account of the majesty of Jesus. 
But you know what? There's no, but, but that's not the only account of Jesus' majesty. Because Andrew, before Peter even knew who Jesus was, Andrew sat at a table with him. Andrew sat in a home with him. Can you imagine the majesty that Andrew must have encountered, not in a big, glorious, light-shining moment on a mountaintop, but in someone, the Son of God, sitting right across from him in all of his glory and power. We don't know the details. We have details of when Peter saw, Simon Peter saw Jesus' glory. We don't have a lot of details of what Andrew saw. But whatever he saw, it was enough to go tell his brother, I have been an eyewitness to majesty, and you need to come see it as well. Over the years, I've always wondered, why didn't Jesus take Andrew on the mountain with him? Why, and it would be so easy for, uh, for us to say he was the first one. Why didn't he go up on the mountain? But do you ever see in scripture, friends, Andrew getting jealous? Do you ever see him asking, why not me? No. Instead, the, all of the disciples told what they saw. And all it took was one brother willing to tell his brother what he saw so that transformation could take place throughout the centuries. All of the disciples had a tremendous impact on what we know as the Church of Jesus Christ today. But what we see in these two brothers are two very different but accurate eyewitnesses of Jesus's majesty. And all of these years later, or all of these years after Jesus's resurrection and ascension into heaven, Peter is trying, along with Andrew, James, and John, and all of the other apostles, to order the life of this church, of these little congregations that are gathered around the name of Jesus. And they're doing the best that they can, and yet there is still error popping up, that people are turning away from Jesus as being the way, the truth, and the life. People are leaning on their own opinions and not what the scripture is saying. People are leaning on what they believe to be prophecy when it's really just what they want. And what Peter is dealing with are false prophets, those who are teaching their own way and not God's way. And so what Peter is saying here is let's get back to what matters, friends. Let's get back to being eyewitnesses of his majesty. Because at the end of the day, beloved, what matters to us as the body of Christ is that we see Jesus, and then we tell what we see. We, we tell our eyewitness account of him. The only way, the only way we can have the vision of Jesus is to have a vision of Jesus. The only way we can have, we as a church, can have the vision of Jesus for looking towards our future and planning for our present is to have the vision of of Jesus and we only and we can't access the vision of Jesus in a five-step plan we spent six weeks talking about this and we barely scratched the surface but underneath it all is this truth that we must see him and he shows up sometimes across the table from us like Andrew and for some of us it's on the mountaintop with the bright shining light like his brother Peter whichever way sometimes we're in the shadows like Andrew quietly doing the work or we're in the spotlight like Peter being the one who entrusted with writing these letters wherever you fall friends we all need to be getting access to and asking for God's vision for the vision of Jesus and that is where we start to see what our vision is as a congregation and that does not begin like I said with any five-step plan it does not begin with just deciding okay let's get a vision together nope that's uh, that's good we want that motivation right we want to have that enthusiasm but we also 
need to remember that finding the vision of Jesus begins when we are on our knees, when we are in a place of surrender, of yielding, and of trusting him. Many of you are probably familiar with, and if you're not familiar with this, you're going to be Googling it all afternoon, trust me, that there is a revival happening right now at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. And this started uh, after a um, uh, chapel service, just a routine chapel service. I believe it was on February the 8th. I may have that date wrong. But, um, but, there was a, but just recently, a few weeks ago, there was a routine chapel service. The students came to it. Everybody stayed. They worshiped. And most everybody left. But there were some students that stayed behind. Why did they stay behind? Well, we don't really know. But they stayed behind. And what did they do? Well, we know that they prayed. We know that they were in the chapel, that they started singing, and then more people started coming in. And so they started having, they just all started worshiping together, praying together. More people came, more people came. As you will see when you Google this this afternoon, this has turned into a full-fledged revival. People are traveling from all over the world to Wilmore, Kentucky, to, to this little chapel just to see and to experience what God is doing. And over the past few days, I've had a number of people asking me, and I've been asking a number of people, well, what do you think? What do you think about this? And the reason we're saying that is we don't really know what to ask. We don't really know how to explain what is happening. But if you look, you see that it's not so much what do we think about what's happening, but we need to pay attention to what is happening. Because, friends, what, hap what is happening at Asbury University Whatever it is, we're going to be talking about it for years, and, and, there, and we're going to be hearing stories for years, but all we know, all we know for sure is that revival started because a, because a small group of people stayed, and they prayed, and they worshiped. They stayed, and they worshiped. They stayed, and they kept their vision on Jesus, and that is what is transforming. That, that, that is where the transformation is coming in. Jesus is moving in ways that nobody could ever imagine. And here's the great thing. Jesus isn't limited to Wilmore, Kentucky, friends. Jesus and his revival power is available to us right here in this congregation. He is with us. He is ready to move in a new way. But are you ready? Are we ready as a congregation? My biggest concern about us as a congregation, friends, is that when Jesus moves with his revival power, will we be prepared? Here's an example. In Wilmore, Kentucky right now, they, they've been influxed with people. There are no parking spaces. People's pews have been taken where they like to sit on a regular basis. Classes had to be canceled because the professors and the students are having to navigate traffic. The restaurants, the hotels are overrun, and people are putting aside everything whatever it was they needed to do, because God is moving. Can't explain it fully, but we know that he is on the move. And friends, that's not limited, but what would you do? Here's my question for you. What would you do if that happened today? Let's say 10 or 12 of you came in and stayed down and stayed and prayed, and we found ourselves, um, and we, we found ourselves in the middle of a full-fledged revival here. If people are coming here because Jesus is working in some way, what are you going to do? Are you going to ask him to move from your seat? Better not. <laughs> are you going to get mad because there's not enough parking? Are you going to, how are you going to respond to that? Friends, when Jesus moves, it is always full of surprises. 
We don't know everything with revivals in the past and the one that's happening now, but we do know this, that Jesus is at the root of it, and we'd best watch and we'd best pay attention because there are people witnessing his majesty in new ways, and we can also see his majesty at work in new ways, but our eyes have to be open and our feet have to be ready to respond. And this week we are entering into one of the most sacred times of the year. The Lenten season is not in the scriptures, but it is something that was created by the church to help us grow deeper in our faith. And we are going from the mountaintop today. We're talking about revival today. We're talking about excitement. We're talking about Jesus moving and new things happening and catching Jesus' vision for this church. We're talking about the good stuff today, but we're headed into the valley with him next. And, when, and, and you might be thinking, well, don't rain on my parade. I don't want to talk about the valley today. Let's stay on the mountaintop. But friends, his majesty is just as glorious in the lowest point of your life as it is at the highest point of your life. Jesus is just as bright when we are at our lowest as he is when we are at our brightest because his light never dims. And what we are, entru- what we are entrusted with in his, what we are entrusted with by him in this hour, in this time, is to catch his vision. And to catch his vision, first we have to see him. First we have to see him. Whether we're an Andrew or a Peter or somewhere in between, we have to see him. And when we catch his vision, we go and we tell. And as we tell, and as we tell, when people are drawn to him, we each have an eyewitness account that we must give. For friends, the time is short. The hour has come. We must not get caught up in arguments that don't matter. We must not get trapped in hating one another when Christ has called us to love sacrificially. We must not waste our time saying who is excluded when Christ has included each and every sinner who has ever come to him. And so as we walk into this Lenten season, we're still going to be talking about vision. We're going to be talking about vision a long time because Christ's vision is taking us into the valley in the week ahead and in the weeks ahead. And we're going to see him meet us in new ways. And I know this because I have seen him. I have seen Jesus. I know you have seen him too. And if you, if you, even if you can't point to a certain moment, we are all eyewitnesses to his majesty. We've got a story to tell, so put aside the things that don't matter. I'm begging you, put aside opinion, put aside argument. Look at it. Look into the eyes that first looked at you and said, you are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. In you, I am well pleased. We heard that. Those are the words spoken at our baptisms. That's the word, not the word I spoke, but it's the word God spoke over Scott today. It's the word spoken over you. Friends, may we go forth today in a holy and reverent fear that God is on the move, that God is working. Let's see where he takes us. For he is the one who lives and reigns, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the blessed three in one, now and forever. Amen. Let us stand as we are able. Respond to God's word.